0: Section 4 of the Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 9. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matt Bishop. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Section 4. Selected works by francois René augusta chateaubriand viscount de chateaubriand the founder of the romantic school in french literature and one of the most brilliant and polished writers in the first half of the nineteenth century was born at st malo in brittany september fourteenth seventeen sixty eight on the paternal side he was a direct descendant of thierry grandson of elaine the third who was king of armrica in the ninth century destined for the church he became a pronounced skeptic and entered the army in his nineteenth year he was presented at court and became acquainted with men of the letters like la harpe lebrun and fontanes at the outbreak of the revolution he quitted the service and embarked for america in january seventeen ninety one Tiring of the restraints of civilization civilization he plunged into the virgin forests of canada and for several months lived with the savages this remarkable experience inspired his most notable romantic work returning to france in seventeen ninety two he cast his lot with the royalists, was wounded at tionville and finally retired to england where for eight years he earned a bare support by teaching and translating his first book was the essay of revolutions seventeen ninety seven which displayed some imagination little reflection and an affection for misanthropy and skepticism the subsequent change in his convictions followed on the death of his pious mother in seventeen ninety eight returning to france he published Atala, an idol a la mode, founded on the loves of two young savages teeming with glowing descriptions of nature and marked by elevation of sentiment combined with sensuousness almost oriental this barbaric paul in virginia immediately established the author's fame thus encouraged in the following year he gave the world his genius of christianity in which the poetic and symbolic features of christianity are painted in dazzling colors and with great charm and style the enormous success of this book during the first decade of the century unquestionably did more to revive French interest in religion than the establishment of the Concordat itself. Napoleon testified his gratitude by appointing the author secretary to the embassy at Rome, and afterward minister plenipotentiary to the Villas, when the Duke d'Auguin was assassinated March twenty first, 1804 chateaubriand resigned from diplomatic service although the ink was scarcely dry which the first consul had signed his new commission two years later the successful author departed on a sentimental pilgrimage to the holy land he visited asia minor egypt and spain where amid the ruins of alhamra he wrote the last of the aben serges to this interesting tour the world owes the itinerary from paris to jerusalem eighteen eleven that book which in saint Spurry's opinion remains the pattern of all the picturesque travels of modern times with the publication of the itinerary the literary career of chateaubriand virtually closes on the return of bourbons to power the man of letters was tempted to enter the exciting arena of politics becoming successively ambassador at berlin at the court of st james delegate to the congress of verona and minister of foreign affairs in eighteen thirty unwilling to pledge himself to louis philip he relinquished the dignity of peer of the realm accorded to him in eighteen fifteen and retired to a life of comparative poverty which was brightened by the friendship and devotion of madame Ricamier until his death on the fourth of july eighteen forty eight chateaubriand devoted himself to the completion of his memoirs de Autretum, an autobiographical work which was published posthumously and which although diffuse and even puerile at times contains much brilliant writing his contemporaries pronounced chateaubriand the foremost man of letters of france if not of all europe During the last half of this century, his fame has sensibly diminished both at home and abroad, and in the history of French literature, he is chiefly significant as marking the transition from old classical to the modern romantic school. Yet, while admitting the glaring faults, exaggerations, affectations, and egotism of the author of The Genius of Christianity, A fair criticism admits his best passages are to be unsurpassed for perfection of style and gorgeousness of coloring. Atala is a classic with real life in it even yet. Powerful, interesting, and even thrilling in spite of its theatrically and often magnificent indescription. In 1811, Chateaubriand was elected to the French Academy as a successor of the poet Chignyre, Among his works not already mentioned are 1807, a sort of sequel to Atala, The Martyrs, 1810, The Natchez, 1826, containing collections of America, an essay on English literature, two volumes, and a translation from Milton's Paradise Lost, 1836. Christianity Vindicated from the genius of christianity during the reign of the emperor julian commenced a persecution perhaps more dangerous than violence itself which consisted of loading the christians with disgrace and contempt julian began his hostility by plundering the churches he then forbade the faithful to teach or to study the liberal arts and sciences sensible however the important advantages of the institutions of christianity the emperor determined to establish hospitals and monasteries and after the example of the gospel system to combine morality with religion he ordered a kind of sermons to be delivered in the pagan temples from the time of julian to that of luther the church flourishing in full vigor had no occasion for apologists But when the Western Schism took place, with new enemies arose new defenders. It cannot be denied that at first the Protestants had the superiority, at least in regards to forms. As Montesquieu has remarked, Erasmus himself was weak when opposed to Luther, and Theodore Beza had a captivating manner of writing, in which his opponents were too often deficient. It is natural for Schism to lead to infidelity and for hearsay to engender atheism bale and spinoza arose after calvin and they found in clark and lebanitz men of sufficient talents to refute their sophistry Abadi wrote an apology for religion remarkable for method and sound argument unfortunately his style is feeble though his ideas are not destitute of brilliancy if the ancient philosophers observes Abadi adored the virtues. Their worship was only a beautiful species of idolatry. While the church was yet enjoying her triumph, Voltaire renewed the persecution of Julian. He possessed the baneful art of making infidelity fashionable among capricious but amiable people. Every species of self-love was pressed into this insensate league. Religion was attacked with every kind of weapon from the pamphlet to the folio, from the epigraph to the sophism, no sooner did religious book appear than the author was overwhelmed with ridicule. While works which Voltaire was first to laugh at among his friends were extolled to the skies, such was his superiority over his disciples that he sometimes could not forbear diverting himself with their irreligious enthusiasm meanwhile the destructive system continued to spread throughout france it was first adopted in those provincial academies each of which was a focus of bad taste and faction women of fashion and grave philosophers alike read lectures on infidelity it was at length concluded that christianity was no better than a barbarous system and that its fall could not happen too soon for the liberty of mankind the promotion of knowledge, the involvement of the arts, and the general comforts of life. To say nothing of the abyss into which we were plunged by this aversion to the religion of the gospel, its immediate consequence was a return, more affected than sincere, to that mythology of Greece and Rome to which all the wonders of antiquity were ascribed. People were not ashamed to regret that worship which had transformed mankind into a herd of madmen monsters of indecency or ferocious beasts this could not fail to inspire contempt for the writers of the age of louis the fourteenth who however had reached the high perfection which distinguished them only by being religious if no one ventured to oppose them face to face on account of their firmly established reputation they were nevertheless attacked in a thousand indirect ways. It was asserted that they were unbelievers in their hearts, or at least they would have been much greater characters had they lived in our times. Every author blessed his good fortune for having been born in a glorious age of the Diderots and d'Alemberts in that age when all the attainments of the human mind were ranged in alphabetical order in the encyclopedia, that babel of the sciences and of reason it was therefore necessary to prove that on the contrary the christian religion of all the religions that ever existed is the most humane the most favorable to liberty and to the arts and sciences that the modern world is indebted to it for every improvement from agriculture to the abstract sciences, from the hospitals for the reception of the unfortunate, to the temples reared by the Michelangelos and embellished by the Raphaels. It was necessary to prove that nothing is more divine than its morality, nothing more lovely and more sublime than its tenets, its doctrine, and its worship that it encourages genius corrects the tastes develops the virtuous passions imparts energy to the ideas presents noble images to the writer and perfect models to the artist that there is no disgrace in being believers with newton and basu with pascal and racine in a word it was necessary to summon all the charms of the imagination and all the interests of the heart to the assistance of that religion against which they had been set in array the reader may now have a clear view of the object of our work all other kinds of apologies are exhausted and perhaps they would be useless at the present day who would now sit down to read a work professed theological possibly a few sincere christians who are already convinced but it may be asked may there not be some danger in considering religion in a merely human point of view why so does our religion shrink from the light surely one great proof of its divine origin is that it will bear the test of the fullest and severest scrutiny of reason Would you have us always open to the reproach of enveloping our tenants in sacred obscurity, lest their falsehood should be detected? Will Christianity be the less true for appearing the more beautiful? Let us banish our weak apprehensions. Let us not, by an excess of religion, leave religion to perish. We no longer live in those times when you might say, Believe without inquiring. People will inquire in spite of us and our timid silence, in heightening the triumph of the infidel, will diminish the number of the believers. It is time that the world should know to what all those charges of absurdity, vulgarity, and meanness, that are daily alleged against Christianity, may be reduced. It is time to demonstrate that instead of debasing the ideas, it encourages the soul to take the most daring flights and is capable of enchanting the imagination as divinely as the deities of Homer and Virgil, our arguments will at least have this advantage, that they will be intelligible to the world at large, and will require nothing but common sense to determine their weight and strength. In works of this kind, authors neglect perhaps rather too much to speak the language of their readers. It is necessary to be a scholar with a scholar a poet with a poet the almighty does not forbid us to tread the flowery path if it serves to lead the wanderer once more to him nor is it always by the steep and rugged mountain that the lost sheep finds its way back to the fold we think that this mode of considering christianity displays association of ideas which are but imperfectly known sublime in the antiquity of its recollections which go back to the creation of the world, ineffable in its mysteries, adorable in its sacraments, interesting in its history, celestial in its morality, rich and attractive in its ceremonial. It is fraught with every species of beauty. Would you follow it in poetry? Tasso, Milton, Cornille, Racine, Voltaire will depict to you its miraculous effects, in belletres in oratory history and philosophy what have not basu finilu massillon Baudelou, bacon pascal euler newton leibnitz produced by its inspiration in the arts what masterpieces if you examine in its worship what ideas are suggested by its antique gothic churches its admirable prayers its impressive ceremonies among its clergy behold all those scholars who have handed down to you the languages and the works of greece and rome all those anchorates of thebes all those asylums for the unfortunate all those missionaries to china to canada to paraguay not forgetting the military orders whence chivalry derived its origin Everything has been engaged in our cause, the manners of our ancestors, the pictures of days of yore, poetry, even romances themselves. We have called smiles from the cradle and tears from the tomb, sometimes with the Maronite monk. We dwell on the summits of Carmel and Lebanon. At others we watch with the daughter of Charity at the bedside of the sick Here, two American lovers summon us to the recesses of their deserts, where we listen to the sighs of the Virgin in the solitude of the cloister. Homer takes his place by Milton and Virgil besides Tasso. The ruins of Athens and Memphis form contrast with the ruins of Christian monuments and the tombs of Ossian with our rural churchyard. At Saint-Denis, we visit our ashes of kings and when our subject requires us to treat of the existence of god we seek our proofs in the wonders of nature alone in short we endeavor to strike the heart of the infidel in every possible way but we dare not flatter ourselves that we possess the miraculous rod of religion which caused living streams to burst from the flinty rock description of a thunderstorm in the forest from Atala. It was the twenty-seventh sun since our departure from the cabins, the Lune de Fur, Monday of July, had commenced its course, and all signs indicated the approach of a violent storm. Toward the hour when the Indian matrons hang up the plowshares on the branches of the junipers, and when the parakeets retire to the hollows of the cypress trees, the sky grew overcast, the vague sounds of solitude gradually ceased the forests were wrapped in universal calm suddenly the pealing of distant thunder re-echoing through these vast woods as old as the world itself startled the ear with a diapason of noises sublime fearing to be overwhelmed in the flood we hastily disembarked on the river's bank and sought safety in the seclusion of one of the forest glades the ground was swampy we pressed forward with difficulty beneath a roof of smilax among grapevines and climbing plants of all kinds in which our feet were continually entangled the spongy soil trembled all around us and every instant we were on the verge of being engulfed in the quagmires swarms of insects and enormous bats nearly blinded us rattlesnakes were heard on all sides and the wolves Bears, panthers, and badgers, which had sought a refuge in this retreat, filled the air with their roarings. Meanwhile, the obscurity increased. The lowering clouds entered beneath the shadows of the trees. The heavens were rent, and the lightning traced a flashing zigzag of fire. A furious gale from the west piled up the angry clouds in heavy masses. The mighty trees bowed their heads to the blast. Again and again the sky was rent, and through the yawning crevices one beheld new heavens and veils of fire. What an awful, what a magnificent spectacle! The trees were struck by lightning and ignited. The conflagration spread like a flaming garland. The showers of sparks and the columns of smoke ascended to the very heavens, which vomited their thunder into the seas of fire then the great spirit enveloped the mountains in utter darkness from the mist of this vast chaos came a confused roaring made by the tumult of many winds the moaning of the trees the howling of ferocious beasts the crackling of the flames and the descent of balls of fire which hissed as they were extinguished into the water the great spirit knows the truth of what i now say at this moment i saw only a I had no thought but for her. Beneath the bent trunk of a birch tree, I succeeded in protecting her from the torrents of rain. Seated myself under the tree, supporting my well beloved on my knees, and chafing her bare feet between my hands, I was even happier than the young wife who feels for the first time the consciousness of her motherhood. End of section four. Recording by Matt Bishop.